Hey y'all, welcome to Life Not Wasted, a podcast hosted by Amanda Hill and Molly Eiler. We're two friends from Texas who got sober in our 20s and are now trying to figure life out in our 30s. So grab your booze-free beverage of choice and join us each week for candid conversations about sobriety, spirituality, and how to live a life not wasted. Hello, welcome to a new episode of the Life Not Wasted podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Amanda Hill, and I am joined by our co-host, Molly Eiler. And today we have a very exciting guest. Um, we have Delaney Fisher with us. And Delaney has been my go-to podcast, creativity, small business guru, kind of the whole gamut for the last what year and a half now, almost two years. Um, she is wonderful. She's based out of LA and I will let her tell a little bit more about what she does um, because it's a really unique uh, role that she's been able to fill. Um, but Delaney, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. By the way, I feel like your voice is so calming. I feel like I just got a mini private ASMR session right now because right? it's very Wow, I feel like I'm her <laughs> Oh my gosh, I'm blushing. <laughs> Lovely. Happy Thanks to so be much. here. I'm uh, yeah, I'm excited to talk with you both today and um obviously Amanda, we've been working together for yeah, like almost 2 years now and it's yep. been so much fun watching your, you know, business develop and grow and now your podcast and then meeting Molly. So, I'm uh, very happy to be here with you both. Thank you. And will you tell our audience that um, is not, I mean, you're a simplicity coach as of now. Yes. Will you um, tell our audience a little bit about what that is, how you got started with that um, and provide them a little bit of background? Absolutely. So I'm basically a business simplicity coach and my clients basically named me that because I didn't know <laughs> what to call myself, but it all started um, with uh, launching a business. I was a stand-up comedian for about six and a half years mm -hmm. and I had a really bad point of burnout and realized that I just did not like that as a career path for myself. It was mm -hmm. very much the opposite life lifestyle that I wanted. And so I decided to try to figure out how to run my own business that was still kind of humorous and gave me the flexibility and freedom I was looking for. So I launched uh, a comedic art business called Dicks by Delaney. I don't know if this is a PG show, but oh, no, it's good. You're it. good. Dicks get, by Delaney. So, We're here Dicks for the dick mugs. Yes. So basically I would turn people into cartoon penises, tasteful ones um, that I would paint <laughs> on coffee mugs as a joke. It started as a happy accident at a holiday party. And then one thing led to another. Um, and it was a hobby I just kind of did for friends and family for a few years before deciding to try to make it a real business. And so I launched that business and it unexpectedly took off. Um, which, you know, I, I was expecting it to fail, um, like a lot of new business owners and entrepreneurs do. So I was not really prepared um, for kind of what happened. But I was able to leave my full time corporate day job to paint these penises full time. <laughs> All I'm thinking of is puns. Like yes. that is literally yeah. all that's going through my brain right now. Always had a pun. It, every every design had a pun, and I, we were yeah. we were dickifying, you know, celebrities and characters and people's friends and family. Well, and Conan Conan O'Brien had one, right? Yes, Conan O'Brien got a dick mug. We named him Conan's O'Brien. It was just a good time for everybody. <laughs> so this like gag gift business. Um, 
you know, grew, I was able to scale it. it. It turned into a digital product business. So then we started dickifying our customers. Um, and I had a team of cartoonists and they were incredibly talented and they were doing all these digital designs. And then our customers would put these designs on like t-shirts and pillowcases and invitations. And it was just a lot of fun. And so as I was scaling that business, a lot of artists and performers and entrepreneurs started reaching out for my help saying like, how are you making a full-time living painting penises or making penis stuff? I need to know, I need help with my business. Can you help me out? And I fell in love with that. So I was doing business consulting on the side. And then both of those businesses got really busy and I just felt like I had to pick which way I wanted to go. I didn't want to be a workaholic anymore with a million different Mm -hmm. uh, businesses and streams Mm -hmm. of income. I really wanted to simplify my life. And so I picked the thing I was the most passionate about. And as much as, as much fun as the penises were, I really loved helping entrepreneurs and artists, you know, start and scale their dream jobs because that changed my life. And so that led to me led me to what I do now. I um I started calling myself like, am I a creative consultant? Am I a business coach? I don't know what the hell I am. <laughs> and then noticed that my clients kept coming back with the same feedback over and over. You give me simple app action steps. It's so simple. There's a lot of simplicity with the way you coach. Mm-hmm. It's different than these other programs. And so I just took that title on of simplicity coach. Um, yeah, for my title. Cause like you know, who better to name me than my own clients, right? So that's kind of how I got here. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm surprised the penises weren't where the passion was. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it was, it was the main passion. It got me to where I wanted to be. And mm-hmm. then, you know, from there, it kind of opened some other doors that I wasn't expecting. And yeah, it was just kind of a weird thing. The penises were like the low hanging fruit, if you will, of how can I get, I how can I get my day job? How can I leave stand up? Yeah. And this little hobby had been there for a few years. And I'm like, wait a minute, people already kind of like this. Maybe I can just transition into this business. You know? Where, where in that timeline did you start the self-helpless podcast? The self-helpless podcast was started after I started Dick's by Delaney as a hobby. So that was maybe a couple years after Dick's by Delaney as a hobby. And then um, we've been doing this almost four years, the podcast. So yeah, it was like Dick's by Delaney was a hobby. Then we started self-helpless. Then at some point within that first year, I think I decided to try to make Dick's by Delaney my full-time gig. Yeah. And then the podcast was huge, you know, absolutely paramount to the success of that business because yeah. of our amazing listeners and their support. So yeah, it was a very strange ride. <laughs> very weird. Yeah. No kidding. That's really, it's, it's such a cool journey. And another part of your journey that um, Amanda shared uh, that she learned in your conversations is that you personally chose to cut back or quit drinking, you know, without necessarily identifying as an alcoholic Mm -hmm. and, um, from two alcoholics, we're like, what? (laughs) (laughs) It truly does not compute to me. So can you kind of explain to us and our listeners, because I think we have a lot of listeners who are maybe sober curious that just might not like their relationship with alcohol or might not like the way that they are, their habits and their patterns, but might not identify as an alcoholic. So yeah. can you share a little bit of that process and that self-awareness with us? 
Definitely. So I think a lot of my lifestyle already is just kind of questioning everything. Like, why is this the norm? Why do we do this? Why do we use this product? Why do we eat this? Why do people hate their jobs? Why is that like the norm? And so I think it kind of, it falls in line with like the mindfulness of what I've been practicing for several years. Like once I hit the worst case of burnout in my life as a workaholic, um, I had no choice but to really look honestly at what I was doing, what I really wanted, Mm -hmm. what I felt obligated to do. And so that, that questioning of things had been developed for a while until I, you know, before I kind of started asking myself those questions. But what initially sparked it was at the start of the pandemic, my anxiety was through the roof, just like everybody else. Mm -hmm. And on top of it, I had a family member who was having some health issues. um, And I was, you know, seeing them pretty regularly. And then there was some other environmental factors that I just felt a lot of pressure um, that was being placed on myself. And so I was talking to my therapist, and I'm like, I'm, I'm waking up every day feeling different. Like I feel really exhausted some days, really energetic some days, some days I feel really depressed, some days I feel fine. I don't know what the hell's going on, but I, what should I do? <laughs> and um, I really, I, I, I enjoy trying to take a holistic path as much as possible. Of course, I think medication and all that stuff is fantastic for people and everybody needs to do what's right for them. I have a history of medications, like not really working well with my body. So mm-hmm. I asked her like, you know, what, what are some steps I can take? And she said, well, why don't, to stabilize things, why don't you try um, cutting down on caffeine, alcohol, and sugar, or like taking them out completely, or at least reducing them and see how you feel. And I'm like, all Mm -hmm. right, well, that's not, I'll I'll try it out. Um, at that point I was maybe having a glass of two or wine a week. Um, sugar was a big one. That was a daily, daily consumption. Um, and then caffeine wasn't too crazy. I was having a cup of tea or something every once in a while, but not a big coffee drinker. So I decided to try it out for like a month. And I felt a significant difference. I mean, within a few days, it was, Mm. it was crazy to me that I didn't, I wasn't correlating a lot of my mood swings with alcohol. Mm. And, you know, these other things that we kind of ingest without really thinking about it. So once I introduced alcohol back into my system, after I kind of stabilized things, I, I noticed I didn't enjoy it very much the same way anymore. And Mm -hmm. I didn't really miss it. And, um, I just started asking those questions. Like, why do I, why do I drink? Like, where does this even come from? Why is this the norm? Like, why are we willingly putting poison in our bodies and calling it entertainment? It's kind of strange. Right. Right. Um, so I think that's kind of what started it. Um, and at that point, I was just trying to focus more on my health and wellness anyway, and mm. trying to replace like alcoholic drinks with like tea at night and stuff like that. So <laughs> I was trying my best. But that's that was how it kind of started is that initial thing of like trying to reduce my anxiety and just yeah. stabilize my mood a little bit at the brink of the pandemic. And it just kind of stuck. Um, it's it's not something that I've eliminated completely, right. but instead of having one to one to a few drinks a week, I maybe have a drink every one to three months now, or like special occasions or something, which is a huge difference than how I'd been kind of viewing alcohol, you know, yeah. the most of my life. So it, I'm dumbstruck. By a lot of like an alien to me. I just want to like, 
I don't, I don't get it. Cause you're like caffeine, not really that big of an issue. And I'm like, sugar. Uh, yeah. I'm like, you just said Sugar's everything that I one. love. Um, yeah. Yeah. but yeah. I, I mean, I knowing you, like, I, I know that you, you try to eat as vegan as possible. And you, so you're already not eating Carbs. animal foods and oh, then you cut out carbs. sugar yeah. and you cut out, like, it just seems like if it were me, I would throw a big pity party and be completely yeah. deprived and make yeah. it just, uh, you know, woe is me. Yes. How did you relieve the stress of the pandemic and running your own business and making lots of changes in that business and changing the way you're recording your podcast? Like, how did you move through all that without yeah. any of those little vices? Ooh, good question. So I do want to say I have not cut out sugar or caffeine. Those I'm like, that's still in my life. And, you know, alcohol is still kind of in my life, you know, when I okay, want so it. So you're human. Um, so <laughs> yeah, very much not an alien. Reestablish that. <laughs> if anything, I probably eat more sugar now, now that I've eliminated alcohol for the most part. So like, I, you know, yeah. something had to get. Hard saying. <laughs> right. right. And so, yes. And I do, you know, I, I am vegan. I think a lot of that's such a loaded word for people because they picture people eating like quinoa bowls and like lentils, you know, in a hut somewhere. And um, <laughs> that's definitely not what my, you know, diet looks like. I'm eating burgers and pizzas and sandwiches and all that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, the, the figuring out how to balance all the anxiety that was happening. And of course, I was in a position that I'm very privileged to be in. I was already working from home. I was working for myself. I had the flexibility, but I was also coming up on the fact that nothing I do is an essential business. Mm. You know, my podcast mm. is not essential. My, my coaching business is not essential. I was still doing my dick stuff at that time too. That wasn't essential. And I'm like, oh shit, I could very well be out of business. And yeah, I don't know what my next move would be. So there was a lot of anxiety about that. Um, I, I, don't, I just feel like a total hippie. I did a lot of deep breathing in the beginning. <laughs> A lot of breathing exercises. I was yes. taking like five baths a day just to like escape. Um, a lot of walks, a lot of just distracting myself with really dumb tasks, like reorganizing my closet 17 times, you know, oh. um, yeah. trying to keep myself distracted. That's what I was doing. I was not really sitting with my anxiety and feeling it a whole lot. I was trying to keep myself busy. So yeah. of course it, that led to burnout, which was a lot of fun. And then I, yeah. How did that, did that phase kind of trigger the workaholism that you were? I was going to ask that too. Where did that start? Oh God. I feel like it started at birth Um, (laughs) (laughs) as a fetus. Yes. You know what? It's interesting. I, I was interviewed for something recently and I didn't even realize this about myself, but my parents um, we're always pretty candid about how they weren't super happy with their jobs growing up. Mm-hmm. Like they did well, you know, quote unquote, well, you know, financially, but there was that, that regret there that they really weren't doing something they were very passionate about. And I think I kind of took on that responsibility as a young kid of like, you know what, no matter what, or how long it takes or how hard I have to work, I have to do something I'm passionate about, not only for myself, because I don't want this kind of regret when I get older, but also for my parents who have sacrificed not doing what they wanted to do to support me. So Mm -hmm. I think that played a lot into it. Um, 
there was a lot of encouragement for me to try a lot of things and being be involved in a lot of things and be really good at a lot of things. So I took that pressure on as well. And so just even as a kid, I was always the kid involved in too many activities, you know, going from one to the next, the next. And I carried that through into adulthood without questioning, like, that's just what you do. Um, and so it took a very long time. I mean, I hit that, that burnout phase at like 25 or 26. So, you know, a couple decades of my life of just doing, doing, doing without thinking about why I was doing any of it. Mm -hmm. um, led to me trying a bunch of different jobs as an adult and being involved in too many projects at one time. And so that's what I think happened and how it started is just a mix of those things. And then having to unlearn everything we have been taught, you know, by family, society, everything about our relationship with work and money and self-worth and perfectionism. It's been yeah, it's hustle culture. Yeah, yeah, that basically totally, um, yeah, totally unraveling myself from hustle culture and being busy just to be busy mm -hmm. and accomplishing things and getting accolades just to do it. And so that's kind of where this all led. And um, now it's like, I don't do any of that shit. And it's weird. I feel like I've kind of swung <laughs> the opposite way. I, that's just mind blowing. And so here's yeah, my question. I can't compute. I can't <laughs> Um, you mentioned a couple times, like feeling this burnout and how do you just, how did you decipher when you felt truly burnt out to where like, I need a change because I feel like right now, if you ask someone how they are, and maybe this is like very millennial of us, but the, the answer is I'm busy. And there's mm. this like glamorization of busyness and stress in the day-to-day -day life tasks. Yeah. which can, it sounds on the surface a lot like burnout, but I feel like burnout is something different. So how were, what was that like tipping point for you where you're like, I can't do this for one more minute? Mm, good question. Basically my brain stopped working. Like my brain went blank. So yeah. I was walking around on my lunch break at my day job um, this was several years ago now. And at that moment in time, I had my full-time job. I was still doing stand-up on nights and weekends as like part-time income. I was doing my hobby of Dick Spy Delaney. I was doing my podcast. I was writing my second feature film for a network. I was submitting writing packets, like late night TV type stuff. I was going on auditions. It was insane. I don't know. I don't know. I, I remember having to study my calendar so closely every day or else I wouldn't know where I was supposed to be, what city I was supposed to be in that night. Like there's, I wouldn't be able to like memorize all that. So that's what my life looked like. And I was walking around on my lunch break and I just, something just went blank. And even though it was just for like, maybe, I don't know, a handful of seconds, but I forgot like where I was supposed to be, what time it was, if I was supposed to be doing something, it was just, uh, it scared the shit out of me. Honestly, it scared yeah. me. Like my brain just broke. Um, and so I went back to my desk while I was still on my lunch break and I had missed a really important meeting because of the brain fog. And I, it was a meeting that I set up. Mm -hmm. Um, so that whole, that brain fog and that memory loss, I was definitely, um, you know, experiencing. And I sat down at my desk and I'm like, I, I can't, like, I physically can't do this anymore. Yeah. There's no way. Um, 
And so from there, I actually wrote down everything. I made a list of everything that was on my plate currently. And I asked myself, what do I actually want? Like, what the fuck do I actually want? This is not Mm -hmm. what I want. This is the opposite. And I knew, truly knew that all I really ever wanted was to work for myself in some capacity, have some freedom and flexibility and do something I enjoyed. And I thought that everything I was involved in was going to lead me there. But it kept just giving me more of what I wanted, which was giving my power to other people who were creating these crazy schedules and projects for me in a way. Um, So yeah, from there, I just slowly took things off of my plate and really kind of laser focused on getting basically how to be self-employed, how to work for myself. And Dick's by Delaney and self-helpless were the only two things I kept on that list. And I said, okay, I'm going to get rid of everything else and just focus on these two things. I was going to, I was going to ask about that. That's Mm -hmm. so interesting. And it's so fascinating to me that you can pinpoint a specific moment because I feel like that's really relatable and, um, of like that kind of aha moment. Um, what was the recovery process from that? Like, because when I hear that, um, I think like I need to quit everything and start over. So how did you recover from that realization and that workaholism? And how has that changed the way you approach things now as a professional and a business owner? Oh, yeah. So when I first realized, okay, stuff has to go. um, It was definitely a process. I mean, the first thing I did was I got my ass into therapy. (laughs) I was like, what am I doing? Why am I doing this to myself? So that was fun. So I did that. Um, and I had taken a couple things off of my plate immediately. Like there, I was, I forgot I was part of an improv troupe at that point too. Like I sent a text message like, Hey, I have to quit. I can't do it. Um, there was a few emails I was able to send like that week to get something off of my plate. Mm-hmm. Um, the other things I kind of eased out of, especially stand up, that was like still, I was, that was still responsible for part of my income. So I didn't feel like I could leave that completely just overnight. Um, so it was a lot of that. Um, I think I did have a vacation or something in there where I think I was visiting my now fiance, um, my boyfriend at the time, his family, and we were going to his cabin and there was no cell service. So that, that like vacation was built in where I couldn't work, which was really can be challenging when you're a workaholic, uh, Mm -hmm. you feel very anxious Um, and so it was a kind of mix of those things. And I feel like it was a several year process. I mean, I wish I can say, oh yeah, it happened overnight or happened within a few weeks, but up until August of this past year, I was still struggling with it. And only since then I have found that, wow, I really feel like I've completely changed my life. Like I do not recognize myself anymore. Um, so now what I do before presented with like a new opportunity or a new project or some kind of new thing, I have to ask myself a million questions and I have to like basically filter things out, Mm -hmm. um, before agreeing to do something because I still have that urgency of saying yes to everything or that, you know, whatever is inside of me. And I actually have to look at my little lists and stuff I've created for myself for my, my own decision-making. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That takes so much courage. Um, I, I, yeah, I mean, I, both Molly and I are like 
kind of blown away by it. Because you you mentioned no cell service and I got heart palpitations. I did so too. like that's like, <laughs> that's like an indication for me, which I yeah. knew I was a workaholic, but um yeah. That just well, I'll just dive into anything that provides me any little bit of like distraction or relief so I don't have to sit in my problems and for money. <laughs> yeah. I mean, mm. when I I was working for a nonprofit this time last year and I think it, it actually, it might've been last year or two years ago where I was so stressed out and overwhelmed with all the different things that I had going on that I remember my mom and Selena, you know, my sweet mom, she'll send yes. really long text messages, like really long text messages. And yeah. I, I love you, mom, but you send really long text messages. <laughs> and I remember getting one and I was like sitting on my couch and I, I was like, I can't read this. Like I, my brain could not work through all of that information. I was like, I need you to send me one sentence that summarizes all of this. And I realized that I was doing that in multiple areas of my life where I was like, I can't get back to that email because I don't have the brain bandwidth to process all of the information. Yeah. And I mentioned that to Bobby and my my husband and he's just like, then why don't you take a break? Like, well, but I can't. Yeah. Like the foundation, like ecosystems are relying on me doing exactly what I'm doing. And like, you know, driving myself into the ground for the sake of this project. And it's, it's so hard to step back and, and one, not get that hit of like, I'm important, I'm needed. And also two, having the realization that the show goes on without you. Yeah. Yeah. That is an uncomfortable humility of, oh, right. He was right. I'm not, not that important to the world. Right. Yeah. That, and that's, that's, um, a very strange experience. I mean, I remember thinking like, but, but, you know, if I leave these projects, like I'm letting people down and I'm, you know, I'm disappointing people. And, you know, maybe some people were disappointed and stuff, but they went on, they replaced Mm -hmm. me, they did their thing. They're like, Oh, I, I'm easily replaceable, <laughs> like, you know, like really having to acknowledge like, yeah. Um, and some, it's so funny. Some people I will still like run into comedians and stuff that I know, and they still think I do stand up, and I quit three years ago. And it's just <laughs> kind of like, oh yeah, nobody gives a shit about what I'm up to. It's very liberating, yeah. you know, in a good yeah. way. So yes, I completely understand. And and what I was told, because when I put myself into therapy and I'm like, my brain is not working. I don't know what's mm-hmm. going on. Do I need something stronger? What's yeah. going on? And she said, you know, your, your burnout is, is a real condition. I know it's, yeah. this is, it's a term that's thrown all over the place, but like your synapses are actually fried. So yeah. it's, it, wow. you can't, you're not computing things properly right now. And, um, I didn't, I never really looked at it that way. I always thought it was just yeah. kind of this surfacey fluff term we throw around when we're tired and we're exhausted from work. But um, yeah, and she she really helped me leave stand up. I was having a really hard time when I first went in there and like, I don't want to do this job anymore, but I don't know how to get out of it. Mm. It's also the source of all of the cool opportunities I get. Mm-hmm. So if I take it away, I feel like there will be nothing left that is fun for me to do. Um and so you still had the dicks, still had the dicks. Yeah, I did still have the dicks. That is true. Um, but it's, you know, everything kind of was birthed out of stand up. Even the dicks mm-hmm. were birthed out of stand up. Yeah. I yeah. went to a comedy like holiday party and they said, 
hey, you got to bring something that you made for like the white elephant gift. And I drew a bunch of penises on a mug as a joke. And that sparked Expidolini. So even that all came from stand up. The podcast, that's, I mean, that's how I met my co-host Taylor and Kelsey through stand up. That's how I was getting auditions and anything. So I was so scared that if I cut that off, that I just, I don't know, I would, I wouldn't be doing anything creative at all. So that was a hard thing. That was a hard transition. And of course that didn't end up being true. I figured it out. Um, But yeah, it's, it's really scary to make those types of changes when you've been in that you're that pattern for so long of just doing it, just doing, doing, doing. But you do that so well, like seeing from the outside, I'm like, you just recently gave up Instagram. Did you really? (laughs) She gave it up like completely. (laughs) Like what was like, I'm deleting my account. You guys see you later. (laughs) I'm like, my mind is blown. I'm like, and I, I was getting heart palpitations, like hearing you talk about leaving stand up because there's so much of like a self-importance in that of like, but how will people know me? Yeah. How will people know that I ate a Cobb salad for lunch if I don't have Instagram? Right. Right. And it's like that almost like it, as an alcoholic, I'm like, I can tie it to existential dread of like, Mm. it's like a little mini death of, you know, importance to people, but like, how do you move through that? And I know you've, you've got an amazing relationship with your fiance and with, your, your dog son, Maverick. And like, how how do you, do you just ground yourself in what really matters in order to move (laughs) through that? Or like, how do you, I mean, how do you right size that? Yeah. You know, the thing is what happened was when I started actually getting very honest about like what I wanted, what I didn't want, what things were actually my idea to begin with and what really weren't, you know, Mm. like there was certain things I had to come to terms with of like, Oh yeah. Like I was encouraged to do stand up, which I don't regret a minute of. It was an amazing experience and met incredible people. It led to my career, but it wasn't my idea to do that for the first time. Um, It wasn't my idea to create an Instagram in the first place. It wasn't Mm. my it was a lot of external sources telling me what they thought like mm-hmm. I should do or what I should be good at, which again, was great. It was a great experiment. I learned a lot about myself, but I started thinking about like, if I could go back and do everything over, would I even do this to begin with? Yeah. And it was a no. And mm-hmm. so I was, I, I knew I was on there to just kind of stay quote unquote relevant and, you know, go through the motions mm-hmm. and all of that. And Um, It just got to a point where I felt like it would be very inauthentic for me to stay for a lot of reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, The podcast had also gotten a lot bigger. And so I didn't feel super comfortable feeling like I was on display in a way and like very accessible Mm. to to strangers, you know, like there was just a lot that kind of made me uncomfortable. Um, And that and I got a lot out of being on social media. Like I, I had a lot of fun with it. You know, a lot of the time I benefited from it. I got a really, some really cool opportunities because of it, but ultimately it just wasn't for me. And the foundation of how I coach my clients is you have to do what makes sense for you and what you find enjoyable and aligned with what you value and your beliefs and stuff. And that looks different for everybody. So I thought I would also be a huge hypocrite if I stayed doing these things that didn't really feel like me um, when I was telling other people the opposite, you know, or to, to do what made them feel good. So there was a lot of 
inner workings of that, I also kind of just looked at the data of what, like where my business was actually coming from and Instagram Mm -hmm. was only responsible for like two or 3% of my business. And so Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm spending a lot of time on here, like acting like this is a huge source of revenue and it's just not, Yeah, you know, like I could probably get rid of this. So yeah, now it's, I'm completely social media free. And that, that's been a, that has been a business dream of mine for like years, a few years, at least, I mean, really planning it. That's scarier than sobriety for me. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's interesting what it sounds to me. So on our, um, little coin medallion chip, whatever you want to call them for, um, Amanda's in my 12 step program. It says to thine own self be true. And I, um, forget it so often that I got it tattooed on my arm. Um, and, but it sounds to me like that's what you're, you did. Like you did this process of finding out who you are or Mm -hmm. maybe reconnecting with who you are to evaluate, like, am I spending energy on things that are authentic to me and, and my values and cutting out what isn't. And that's so scary, but that's so freaking inspiring to me because Mm -hmm. there's so many things we do because this person wants us to do it or we think that we should do it for this reason or it'll make that person happy or it'll make me look good to them and that's just such a waste talk about living a life not wasted like yeah get it Delaney (laughs) yeah (laughs) and to brag to brag on Delaney real quick like the it's it's amazing that you were able to do so much of what you've done, but also like when I think about your standup and your dick mugs, it comes from this, like such a joyful place of like wanting to like love other people and bring joy to other people. And that's so inherent in who you are as a person that it comes out in everything you do. You know, you don't need like a mug or a stage or a microphone. Like it comes out in our conversations. Like Bobby can tell when I'm on the phone with you because I'm cackling. I'm laughing so hard. And it's just us talking about business or the podcast. And it's like, that's who you are as a person. And that just overflows in so much of what you do that I'm so proud of you for being able to like, let go of the things that aren't bringing you joy because it frees up so much capacity for you to show up in a way that you're, you're touching lives, you're changing lives in exactly the way that you're meant to in bringing joy and inspiring others. And it's like, you're doing it your own way. Oh my God. Thank that you is so, so much. cool. I'm on the brink of tears. <laughs> that is so <laughs> sweet. Thank you. That is so, that is really, really sweet. And, um, you know, there was a lot of fear involved in all this. I had all, all those, you know, thoughts that go through my head, like, this, what if I'm not special? If I quit all this stuff, nobody's, and I feel like I might disappear. And like, how am I, you know? Um, so there was a lot of self doubt, um, and insecurity with kind of owning what I actually want to do. And it took me so long to realize, Mm -hmm. I just want to be a normal fucking person. Yeah, I just want to be like, I want maybe a more conventional life than I thought I would. And that I thought I kind of wanted. And I I just want a job I really enjoy. And I just want to hang out with my friends and family. And like, that's it. And so for me, a lot of it was like, taking myself off display in so many ways was mm-hmm. a way of kind of taking my power back. Because yeah. I feel like I wasn't the 
I wasn't the one who actually put me there. Mm. I didn't, I, you know, I felt like it was a lot of just external factors from being, you know, a young kid into, into adulthood. And it wasn't really my idea, you know? So totally. Weird. Well, I'm, I'm <laughs> so proud. I'm so proud of you and so baffled by so much of what you're doing. And I, Thanks. I, I wanted to hang up the zoom call when you told me you had replaced wine at night with tea. <laughs> I was just like, that's the biggest slap in the face yeah. to me. Just like something that I loved and held so dear is like my wine. And you're just yeah. like, yeah. I drink tea now and that's sufficient. <laughs> no, like your health is annoying me. <laughs> I, mean, I, I drink tea now and I look at it and I'm like, mm. you're like, I grumble mm. at it. <laughs> tea. I'm like so oh happy God, to be sober, so but in, in yeah. never in my life would I have just been like, They're I guess I'll just drink tea. Mm. They are not you know what? My new vices have really become horrible reality TV shows. <laughs> Tell and me like, just to be honest, overeating. I eat a lot of food like that. That's that's a vice that I've been working on my whole life. But like that is still, you know, I still have them. They've just kind of transitioned into other. <laughs> well, vegan is like half yeah. the calories, right? Oh so like a whole fine. vegan pizza okay. is like one <laughs> One slice of my pizza, right? Tell me about the bad reality TV because I am so on that boat. And I hope it's the below deck sailing yacht boat because I'm on that one. Okay, so funny. Below deck is like one of the only shows I haven't watched like religiously. I've seen a few episodes, um, but it's so funny. Um, My fiance's uh, sister, my soon to be sister-in-law is works. She started watching below deck and now she does those jobs. She's like a deckhand in, yeah, so, so fun. I honestly, I was not a reality TV person until the pandemic hit. And then the pandemic hit and I'm like, really? oh my God, I need something. I need some shit. Yeah. I need some escapism. What can I do? Yes. I started watching Too Hot to Handle, a Love yeah. Island, The Bachelor, <laughs> Bachelorettes, Selling Sunset. I mean, everything I could get my hands on. I'm like, what? I've been doing life wrong because these are yes. incredible ways to oh, escape yeah. reality. Oh, yes. Oh, the irony. I love it all. Give yes. me another season of Big Brother and I will be happy as a little clam. Oh, it's addicting. It no, I'm addicting. the exact opposite. I can't, I, I cannot relate to you guys. I'm like, I will so highbrow. No, I am your brows so great. So thank you so much. I just dyed my brows for the first time ever, mm. ever. And I feel very brave doing that. Um, great. but thank you so much. Yes. Let's make this about me and my, and my brows. <laughs> um, but I, I cannot watch reality TV because the fact that I don't know how it's going to end or there's not perfect harmony. I just, I can't I'm like, give me an episode of the office or parks and rec and yeah. just like soothe me. Yeah. I don't, those are good I don't too. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm, you yeah, know, what? those are fine. There's just something about that reality TV yeah. shit show that you're like, good oh, for you guys. I Give me so a Christine better. Quinn Barbie ponytail <laughs> and like a weird wedding with like acrobats and zebras and things. Like, I am here for it. Yeah. And there's something kind of freeing to see like other people doing some fucked up shit. You're like, wow, I thought I had a lot of issues going on, yeah. but I feel pretty put together after. You're like, I'm two. doing okay. <laughs> yeah. That guy. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, I have a couple of questions for you if you guys don't Shoot. mind me asking. Oh, yeah, girl. I'm so curious to know. Um, you know, obviously being sober in social situations, I get a lot of questioning as like, 
a vegan and a lot of like, why don't you have kids yet? And all that kind of questioning. Yeah. And imagine people who maybe don't know you very well. They see that you're not drinking an alcoholic beverage at a party or something. They mm-hmm. ask you about it. How do you navigate those situations? And also what kind of drinks do you usually drink at mm. parties and stuff? Mm-hmm. Very good question. Molly, you want to go or you want me to take this one first? Um, I'll start because it's the, my experience has mostly been it. Most of my friends that I like go to parties with or like go to social engagements with know me and have known my story. And so they don't really ask the question. Um, some of them are kind enough. I drink Topo Chico quite often. And so my friends are usually nice enough to either like have that or they're cool if I bring my own or whatever. Yeah, um, the sparkling I, water that Californians like, don't yes. know about. I actually have it in my fridge right now because Cam got it at the grocery store. I'd oh never had gosh. it before. Yeah. Okay. It's exciting. Sorry. Um, dating has where is where like I have run into issues. Yes. And um because it's it's very like people are guys are insecure about it. And um I've gotten lots of comments of like, you just didn't drink the right things. And I'm like, pal, I drink everything. And like, I have had to be, I've had to really exercise that assertive bone that is not very natural for me. Um, but I've, I found like, if people have problems with it, it, they're, they're, those aren't my people. Um, and so I, (laughs) um, if, if go ahead, Amanda. Okay. Yeah. I'll take this one while you take care (laughs) of the, the barking dog. Um, Yeah, this one's, this one was, um, kind of a mixed bag. It was really hard when I was single. Um, like Molly said, because people just don't, they don't know what to do with someone who's living. That's so far out of the box of like, you're, you're in your thirties and you're single and you're also not drinking and what's wrong with you. Mm. Um, but when it came to like acquaintances or work functions or the kind of periphery friends, I just didn't tell him. And for the longest time, I just was like, this is my thing. And it's, it's so, it was so deeply personal for me that I was like, I don't trust you with that information. And I just don't, I don't want to be judged right now. So what I would do is I would take like a little tumbler, like not the big water glasses, but like a little tumbler that you would get like a, a whiskey drink in. And I would say either give me a club soda and lime or like a diet Coke or something in a glass. And that's, that's obscure enough that like people aren't going to be like, so is that just diet Coke or is that whiskey Coke? Right. You know, people are mostly going to leave you alone. If they, from their perception, you're abiding by the social norm of drinking at a party. Right. You know, and it took me a while before I was able to kind of regain that confidence of who I am as a person and think I can actually be kind of fun when I'm not (laughs) blacked out or passed out or throwing up. I'm actually a pretty good time and I enjoy weddings so much more being sober than I ever did when I was drinking. Cause I'm like, I can stay out on the dance floor longer. I'm not like constantly hounding the bartender for more booze. Like I'm able to be there. And the more I'm sober and in those situations, I realize, oh, they're drinking normally. And I would not be drinking normally if given the same opportunity. Like I would, I would be blacked out somewhere and these people are willing to have like one or two and still consider it a good time, which I don't get, but it just, it illuminated the fact that like, oh yeah, no, we're very different. 
And, and most people are very normal drinkers and kind of like what Molly said, if they do have a big problem with it, which I do have friends that have a big problem with my not drinking, they're usually the people that like, it's triggering something in them that they're not really comfortable with. Um, and they need other people. It's like, I need, if I'm going to down a whole pizza, I want everyone to be eating pizza with me. Mm -hmm. Like if you have a salad and I'm chugging, like I'm, or I'm like gorging myself with pizza, that's not fun. Right. And so it's like, it's the people who aren't confident in their own decisions that need other people to be doing the same thing. And the more you realize that, and, and kind of like what Delaney said of just realizing other people are just thinking about themselves. Like you, people don't really care if you're drinking or not. They care if their own personal decisions are being validated. Absolutely. Yeah. A lot of projection happens. A lot of projection. Oh, yes, and yes. so when you realize it's the best thing for me, if I was drinking, there would be no more booze at the party. So you actually don't want me to drink because <laughs> there wouldn't be left in for you. And then the three, it's like, it's, it's, it's just about them. It's not really about me. And if I'm not comfortable sharing that part of my journey or myself, I just fool them. Mm. I just, and people don't ask. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, uh, that's a good, that's a hot tip. It, it's a good one. I actually, I'm, I'm like, I turned into like an oversharer sometimes where I'm like, yeah, I'm an alcoholic. And, um, and, and people I'm are like, like I asked what you did for work. In there, yeah. Like I asked what your middle name was. <laughs> um, but I, yeah. I just kind of go, sometimes I just go for it and it shuts people up. Um, and like stops them asking questions, but, um, that might not be appropriate. Like that's not always an appropriate response for people. Like Delaney, that would not be an appropriate response for you because that's not how you identify. Um, but Melissa Urban, who um, she started the Whole Thirty. It's not a diet, but the lifestyle Whole Thirty um, goes through periods. Of, she so she's in recovery from drug addiction, and um, alcohol was not part of her story. But in the recent past, she has quit drinking. And she talks a lot about using the phrase, I'm not drinking right now, or I'm just not drinking right now. And, you know, that right now could be, you know, at five o'clock on Monday, or it could be, you know, for the past five years in the foreseeable future, you know, that right now, I'm not drinking right now, doesn't matter when it is. And so that, I think that phrase is really empowering. And someone says, well, why? Like, I'm just not drinking right now. Mm-hmm. And I've used that. people have assumed I was pregnant. <laughs> and I, yeah. I do often say like, I was actually, it's funny. I was out a couple weeks ago and, um, someone asked me, like, I, I ordered a drink and I just ordered a Topo Chico and they're like, just a Topo Chico, no te- mm. tequila or vodka in that. And I was like, mm. nope. And they're like, Oh, and I said, I'm not pregnant. I just want a Topo Chico. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, that, that kind of it, what it did, it was great. The fact that I like read with this guy, this male waiter was thinking, was it really got him in check where he was like, oh, I had some assumptions happening here yeah. right. that I shouldn't have had. And it was my like subtle way of being like, no, you jerk. Yeah. yeah. Check yourself. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, and it's, it's a lot of that projection of people evaluating their own habits in social situations and their own need for 
alcohol to be comfortable in social situations. And as someone who needed alcohol to be comfortable in social situations, I relate. I get yeah. that. Um, yeah. I just decided that that was no longer a healthy and appropriate response for me. Yeah. yeah. And that's everyone's personal choice. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's a great way to say it, Molly. And like, I, I relate so much to the people that are like, well, why aren't they drinking? And I want to, want to be validated in, in my own thoughts, but, um, I'm so proud of all of us for, for choosing our own path and for being willing to share about it because for, for the longest time, like, you know, I can joke about like just fooling people or, you know, uh, trying to hide it, keep it to myself, but the times more often than not, when I'm willing and I feel comfortable with a person enough to say like, Oh, actually I'm in recovery and I don't drink. They've either been impacted by that with a loved one, or they have something that they're in recovery for, or they know someone and they have questions. Yep. It's like the opening that door and realizing like, you don't have to be the old drunk guy under a bridge Yeah. in order to not drink or to, to choose a different life path. Like it, it, can be something that you is very freeing and is very empowering. Kind of like Delaney with your workaholism, like when you start letting that stuff go, it's like you can stand a little taller and you feel more confident in yourself. And 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 those decisions are are totally possible. For me, usually when I get enough pain, yeah, to where I'm willing to make that or my body like physically shuts down and is like, hey, listen. And when you get you honest to- enough. Right. right. Like yeah. When you get honest enough to realize, yeah. to say, like, this isn't working anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not it's having the same good. effect. Yeah. You have to really, uh, for me, it's all about like being courageous enough to at least pretend I don't give a shit what people think of me yeah. in a social situation because that's yeah. really what it is. I can go my, my day to day life, no problem. I, I'm not running into any obstacles about my decisions, mm-hmm. but it is that social anxiety that I now experience to like the millionth degree yeah. um, mm-hmm. that I never had before. When I was like, you know, younger, I was drinking, I was whatever. I was like, mm-hmm. I would be one of those people like, why aren't they drinking? Why aren't they having a fourth plate of food like I am? Why aren't mm-hmm. they doing all the, why aren't they being loud? And <laughs> You know, it was, yeah. it was just kind of all of those questioning other people. And now it's like, oh my gosh, I, I know how people respond to just my life choices and they mm-hmm. feel judged by me without me saying a word. Right. And even though that's not my issue or my problem, I, f- it makes me feel bad. So when I go mm. into a social situation, I, ch- I, I try not to talk about any kind of deep shit. If it's yeah. like a party situation, yeah. I will answer people's questions if they happen to ask if they're asking like respectfully. Um, but I truly just try not to bring things up because it's like, okay, you know, people will notice like, why aren't there, why isn't there chicken on your plate? What are you doing? Like, oh, I don't eat meat. Oh, how come? Why, 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 why? And it's so funny, mm-hmm. you know, there's a stigma with vegans, like, oh, how do you know somebody's vegan? They'll tell you within five seconds. No, yeah. you guys keep asking us. And then we're, <laughs> we're backed into a corner being interrogated, you know what I mean? About our decisions. Yeah. And it's like, so now I have that. I have the not really drinking. I'm not drinking right now situation, which yeah, has yeah. not been, which has been very strange for my friends and family to kind of hear that. Yeah. Um, and then just the fact that I'm kind of, I have a more minimalist lifestyle. 
Um, I don't want children. I'm child free by choice. That's another big one. I run my own business, you know, that some people don't can't relate to that. I just feel like, Oh my God, another fucking thing that is Mm -hmm. not that's going against the grain. I'm not doing it on purpose. It's just every time I get more honest with myself, I'm adding something to the list that doesn't really fit in. And I'm like, well, shit, parties are, parties are, can be tough for me. Yeah. 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 I, I don't envy you with the veganism at all because I just drown my, I can't have a beer with, I'll just have eight hot dogs. (laughs) you know, like that's how I I cope. But one of the things that I think you do really well, and I strive to do is not judge other people for their choices. And I think that's what makes people so uncomfortable is the feeling like I'm going to be judged and being able to, I, I think I'm very fortunate that my like best girlfriends who have been my best girlfriends since high school, like 15 years, they are really fun when they drink. Like they are hilarious. And so for me, it's like, I can be around them when they're drinking and I'm, I don't feel annoyed. I don't feel like a martyr. It's like, it's just like, it's me being with my friends and they're fun. And it's, we just have so much history that it's, it's, I, that doesn't come up. I don't feel like I judge them. And, um, I might not always be that way, but the ability to be so confident in your own choices that you don't need other people to make those same choices, it you present yourself differently. Like Dylan, you and I were talking last week and I had just finished this big exam and you were like, okay, how are you going to celebrate? And I was like, I'm going to go eat a cheeseburger. And you, <laughs> right. instead of being like, mm, me. <laughs> You were like, go get yourself a cheeseburger. Yeah. Like, yes, you go yeah. do that if that's what you want. Yeah. And and that's how I feel on my good days about people when they're drinking. It's like, yeah. if you can really just have one or two, go do it. Yeah. Enjoy. Like, more power to you. I Absolutely. can't do that. So that's not, that's not my wheelhouse, but yeah, you know? But the more you can make, the, you can stand really confidently in those decisions, knowing that they are your best way to show up in the world. It, it's like that other stuff kind of starts to fall away. And I, I promise you, Delaney, and I don't, I don't make this promise lightly. You will learn that you're inspiring more people than you're distancing with, oh, with living your truth and, nice. and being able as cheesy as that phrase is like you, you will just become an inspiration to more people than you realize. And the people that it distance or the people that are asking you the nosy questions, because they just can't wrap their mind around someone making a positive decision for whatever they need. um, Those people will become less and less and less. Yeah. It's, I so co-sign all of that. And the other thing is, um, I, I do because the other thing is people have a hard time. Uh, I think people's initial response. And what I heard from you is like childless, vegan, non-drinker. And I am uh, unmarried, childless, alcoholic. Mm. And a lot of times I feel like people have tried to respond to those demographic things, identifiers for me with pity. And the more Mm. confident I speak to those, the less capable they are of responding to me with pity. And the last thing Mm. I want to, to, for anyone to respond to any of those choices that I've made 
is with pity because if I wanted to be married right now, I could be married right now and miserable. If I wanted to have a kid right now, I could have a kid right now and be miserable. If I wanted to drink right now, I could drink right now and be miserable. But I know myself better than any of those other people know myself. And so I, you know, I stand by those choices and I, you know, I, I, I feel confident in them and, and maybe not, maybe some of them aren't choices, but they're just like life circumstances. And I feel confident about why, and people can't respond to pity when they're like, oh, you're 31 and unmarried and without a child. And I'm like, yep. Yeah, it's fucking awesome. I, what are you up to? I take a two and a half hour nap on Saturday. Yeah. Right. And right. you know, people can't respond to like, oh, I'm like, no, nah, yeah. I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. And I think people just like to tell women what the fuck to do. And I'm so tired of it. I am so tired of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, people are threatened even by the way I spend money. Yeah. Like I spend money. I'm like, yeah, I have a laundry service and I have a house cleaner and I have a meal delivery service yeah. and I buy myself massages and I also donate money. And what's up? Like, and you don't have to defend you know, any what? of those choices because who made that money? You girl. You don't have to defend any of those choices. I don't have to submit my budget sheet to anybody but myself. And that is what is so awesome. Um, I mean, obviously, if I were married or attached, I would probably have to fess up to a few more of those things and maybe... uh, (laughs) Like acknowledge where I could streamline. But, um, you know, it's... Someone once told me other people's opinions of me are none of my business. And as much as I want to know them and I want to know what all these people think about me so that I can uh, make them feel better because I'm a people pleaser and I'm a two and I don't like people not agreeing with uh, the way I do things. It's none of my business. Mm -hmm. And so I can just like let their opinions of what I'm choosing to do with my life and spend my money and all of those things. I can let that be their business. Yes. And that's absolutely. so much easier said than done. Absolutely. It's Even as I'm saying that, I'm like, ooh. But yeah, it has nothing to do with us. That's their shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Whew. I think we might have to end on that. <laughs> no. That was a good that's one. That's their shit. Yeah. Mic drop. <laughs> Well, Delaney, thank you so much. Actual mic drop from Molly. Please yeah. don't. That's expensive. Um, Thank you so much for joining us. You are such a delight. And I am so honored that you're our first guest. And um, where can people find you? You Not on Instagram. Instagram. (laughs) No Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or any of the others, but DelaneyFisher.com has everything. Um, there's information about my, you know, business simplicity coaching. You can find the self-helpless podcast there. You can find Eficionado podcast there and that's pretty much it. There's some other free shit. Will on you there. spell your website? Because I know you spell yes. your name differently. It is D-E-L-A-N-I-E-F-I-S-C-H-E-R.com. It's the it's C-H. Like, yes. It's like Delaney Fischer. There you go. <laughs> yes. Delaney Fischer is kind of how it. Delaney Fischer. Yeah. There you yes. go. Yes. <laughs> all right. Please don't start going by that. No. <laughs> it's not in your best interest. Support all of your endeavors except for that one. Yes. Yes. Okay. Well, we will wrap up there. Delaney, thank you so much again. And Molly, you're amazing. This is just a conversation. I'm so proud of you guys too. This is such a great podcast. Thank you. About really juicy stuff, like the real shit. Hey, yeah. Rate, review, and subscribe. Those are not on Instagram. (laughs) Yes.
Exactly. Okay. Well, Delaney, we will um, talk to you soon. And guys, thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support the Life Not Wasted podcast, click the share button and send this episode to a friend that would enjoy it. Word of mouth is the best way to help us reach new people who may need a little encouragement on their journey. Thanks again for listening, subscribing, and sharing the Life Not Wasted podcast with your people. Talk to you next time.